0: Hi everyone, it's Jen DeWall, and on this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, I sat down with Dr. Karen Tilstra to talk about crossing your death line. We talked about how to maximize your own potential, and you can only do that by facing your fears. Let me tell you a little bit more about Dr. Karen Tilstra. She is a renowned innovator, entrepreneur, and thought leader in design thinking and innovation. As founder and president of The Creativity Effect, she has created innovation labs and led design thinking teams for healthcare systems, government agencies, universities, and Fortune 500 companies. Karen and her team have led design thinking projects for 37 plus national and international companies. She has earned three innovation awards, presented at TEDx events, spoken globally, co designed an undergraduate degree in innovation, and authored The Deathline stopping the number one all-time killer of human potential karen's based in florida and she resides with her husband creating three sons' successful journeys into the world i hope that you enjoy getting to know more about karen and more about the death line which is actually likely the thing that's holding you back from your success welcome karen tilstra i have been reading your book getting to know more about you and the work that you do. And first and foremost, I just have to start off the bat, out of the gate and just say, thank you for writing this book. And thank you for coming on the Leadership Habit Podcast today to talk about the death line, how (laughs) to maximize your potential. Thank you for coming on the show.
1: Well, thank you. It's such an honor to be here. And I love what you're doing. I love your your energy. And I think you're doing a lot to make the world a better place so i'm just very honored to be here thank oh you for gosh. having me
0: yeah and i'm already going to tear up the audience might not know <laughs> karen and i have been you know talking a lot about her book and the before we started this podcast and we're hoping to give you a great conversation on a really important topic we're talking about the death line which for sounds
1: Morbid sounds scary,
0: but fact, most some people, people ha- are into that.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, what were you, some of my friends have said? Why did you name it such a scary name? I said, well, it because it, it means that. It's I'll we'll get into it.
0: Yeah, it's crossing our deadline. It's understanding how are we holding ourselves back. But before we start to dive into our topic of how to maximize your own potential by crossing the deadline. Karen, will you go ahead and just introduce yourself to our audience? Tell us a little bit more about yourself, how you came to be, and what prompted you to write your book?
1: Okay, well, um, uh, my name is Karen, as you said, and I'm originally from California, uh, and um, I worked in the U.S. and overseas. I was previously an educational psychologist, I guess I still am, but um, through my work as an educational psychologist, I kept finding um, kind of dead ends with 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 the, the interventions we were using. It wasn't, I felt we weren't really getting to the heart of the issue. And I worked in um, all levels of education and then I was working at the university level and I noticed, I, I kept having uh, students and faculty, even parents would come in to my office and it's like, how do I live the life I want to live, or i i just living for the weekends. I'm doing this major because um, my parents wanted me to, or I thought it's going to make money. But I, more and more, I started to notice there was something missing with a lot of people. And everything I knew as an ed psych was not helping. And so by chance, the university president asked me to go to attend a conference in Chicago where DeWitt Jones, the well-known, famous National Geographic photographer would be speaking, and he was speaking on uh, the transformational power of creativity. And I thought, well, that sounds cool. So I went, got there just as it was starting. And it was in this big auditorium, or actually, it was an arena. And I was, I was sitting actually all the way in the back. And so he told all these fantastic stories about. Um, how, how he had to confront his fear because he would be in a tree, you know, hanging in a branch of a tree waiting for the lion to come by or crouching in a canoe, waiting for the hippopotamuses to arrive or to emerge. And um, he said he had a lot of fear, and he, but his passion was to capture the beauty of the world and share it with the people. Now DeWitt Jones is an older guy. And so he was working back when uh, there wasn't as many people who didn't have as much access to, well, pictures, uh, internet, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. And so he said he had found his life passion. And as he was regaling us with stories, he then turned to the audience in a kind of pensive moment and said, how many of you are living your creative passion Are really doing what you think you were born to do? Stand up. Or how many of you want to? Sorry, how many of you want to to do that? Stand up. Everyone just jumps to their feet. Then he says, how many of you are actually doing it? Living your true gifts, living your creative passion. And people just slowly sank their seat all over this arena. And it just hit me in a flash. It was like a gestalt that this is what was missing with my work. And I think many of my colleagues works that we were not actually thinking about or tapping into or learning about the creative essence of the human spirit. And so just, I, I was so riveted by that uh, void that I was able to identify. So I went out of the auditorium, actually called my husband and said, you know what? I am going to learn the whole thing, how creativity works, how it ignites the human spirit. And so I had the opportunity to go into a doctoral program and I then studied, you know, uh, creativity, the, the transformational power of creativity, innovation, what that means, the whole thing. And I was, it was a wonderful journey. And so when I finished the doctoral program, I got hired by a large uh, healthcare system to help them create an innovation initiative in their whole system that would actually teach the people across the healthcare continuum how to be more creative of better problem solvers, problem finders, how to embrace opportunity, how to just think you know, more creatively. And it was very exciting, you know. I, it was everybody seemed excited about it. Everyone was like, "Wow, yes, we want to be creative. This is the best thing." And so, Intel, everyone wants to be creative. Intel, they have to go out of their comfort zone, and it's like, "Ah, oh, wait, no, we didn't know it meant that. We didn't know we'd have to be vulnerable. We didn't know we'd have to change. <laughs> we didn't know we'd have to actually listen to other people's ideas." But it was a really exciting journey. As so, I began to help organizations build innovation uh, labs or design centers or places where people could come and solve problems and learn the art of creative thinking. It was just a dream. I loved it. But as I was moving along through, I worked with healthcare government agencies, higher ed um, businesses, NGOs, pro sports, it all started to, one thing came started coming more and more clear to me that people wanted to be creative And actually, everybody is creative with leadership potential, even though they don't believe it. A lot of people don't believe that, but I found it to be completely true. Everybody's creative with leadership potential. But I noticed that um, when situations came to the point in, a say, we were trying to work, think more creatively or solve a challenge. People oftentimes just shut down. They just like, okay, that's far enough, or mm, I don't think this is going to work. And then so I started developing this theory that people's behavior became worse the closer they came to some discomfort. So it was kind of blurry in my mind. Then one day, this guy from a healthcare, large healthcare organization, you would know the, you'd know the place if I said it, their medical device company, and they had really held the market share in a lot of. Equipment for minimally invasive surgery. And they were starting to lose market share. And so I'll just call him Walter. I refer to him in the book, Walter. He called me up and said, Karen, I want to come down to your uh, creativity center and I want you to help me and my team create a way to uh, run our business without sales reps. Sales reps are ruining us. I said, Well, okay. But would you be willing to first? Pause and learn about what's really going on. That's me, the mother of all questions. What's really going on here? He said, Well, we know what's going on. We just need to create a better business plan without sales reps. So I said, Well, come down and we will give you an opportunity to learn some things. And so they came down and we got them in surgeries, several operating rooms where teams, operating teams, were uh, surgery teams were using their equipment. And so the uh, surgery teams knew that people were in there observing, but they didn't know where they were from. And so right off the bat, when surgery started, the team started struggling with their devices because they had bases that you put a top, snap a top into for a certain procedure, but the top had to match the base. And there wasn't really an indicator which base went with much top, which seems kind of a no brainer, but it wasn't. And so they're like, oh, this company makes things so hard. And then- the comments started saying, call the sales rep. The sales reps are our salvation. And uh, one doctor said, you know, this company, they do this because they know we have to throw equipment away. So they just want to sell more equipment. And then another comment was, thank goodness for the sales reps. If it hadn't been for the sales reps, we would have bailed on this company a long time ago. So then shocked as they were, they come back to the innovation lab. And he Walter says to me, I can't believe it. I just can't believe it. I was so afraid of failing. I was so completely consumed that I was failing. I couldn't even think straight. So I was going to throw their sales reps under the bus. He said, but we learned that it was us. What we assumed worked didn't. And that to me started me thinking is that unbeknownst to people, we suboptimize because he was afraid of failing. He, He chose something to do and he was certain that was what he needed to do. So that got me thinking, you know, we need to actually, as we're teaching people about creativity, we need to help them really realize what's going on. What are they telling themselves? What assumptions do they have? Well, then shortly after that, I was working with a group of executives from an organization that had several branches. So the executives were from several branches. They were all coming together. And the problem was very clear what they were working on. But they skirted around the issue and they talked about this and they talked about that. And time was passing and I finally said, I don't know why you guys can't just state what the problem is. And one of the ladies said, well, because if we do, that means we're going to have to admit we've been wrong all these years. And then it just flashed in my mind, this word death line. And we were in the lab with a really large whiteboard. So I just went over the whiteboard and I drew this line and I said, I think this is a death line for you guys. And that was the first time I ever coined the phrase. And I just drew a line across the whiteboard. And I said, you guys are here and you will not cross this line because you're afraid of you're going to get criticized or you're afraid you're going something bad's going to happen. And she said, yeah, it's true. Cause she said, as long as we don't name it, maybe we don't have to deal with it. But I said, you know, the thing is is as long as we have created these, we create these death lines either consciously or subconsciously, and we vow ourselves never to cross them because if we cross them, terrible things will happen. We think, we think they'll happen. Now, if you are in an airplane, you step out of an airplane without a parachute that's like a physical death line. Yes, something bad's going to happen. You're probably not going to survive that. But personal death lines, we kind of put in the same category as stepping out of a plane without a parachute. But in reality, it might not happen. We might not be embarrassed. We might not lose our job. We might not fail. We might not be rejected. And so I sat down with this group of executives and I said, you know, I want to talk a little, about, little bit about this word I just wrote on the board that I just coined in my head, death line. I think you guys have created a line for yourself that you will not cross because you think the consequences are going to be so terrible. You're going to get criticized. You're going to get maybe fired. Who knows? But maybe it won't happen. Maybe because you now articulated the problem clearly and admitted the problem, maybe now good things can happen. And to me, that was a pivotal point for me to actually start to get the vernacular, the vocabulary to help people not sub-optimize. Because I saw over and over how people would just they'd get to a point and you couldn't see it because these death lines are invisible. Um, but they would just stop talking or get defensive or or shut people down. And it's when we unpack it, it's, oh, I just had this fear, AKA death line that I would not be vulnerable. So I wasn't going to cross because I couldn't bear what might happen afterwards. Maybe you would laugh at me. That'd be terrible. Well, maybe they wouldn't laugh. So that's, that's kind of the, that's what led me to this, that point of creating the book, the death line.
0: (laughs) No, and I, and I love it. And I think that from the chair that I sit in, I can notice death lines that I adhere to. And said simply, your death line is your fear line. It's the line that you will not cross because you feel like whatever happens when you cross it is so awful, so terrible that it's just not worth the risk. And right. I feel like I see so many people in my lives that blindly subconsciously adhere to so many mm-hmm. deadlines. I mean, we just talked about one that I had with the client earlier yeah. where, you know, earlier on in her <clears throat> time within an organization within the first three days, her experience of the leader, this leader called her out, not in the best way, not in the most productive way, but that then created a death line for her that she never wanted to be seen as someone that was inadequate right. or made mistakes until she pulled back. So the death lines are, are, would it be fair to say that the death lines become our rules around fear, our, yes. our, our seatbelts, like our safety nets to be like, do not do this. Otherwise you're going to crash and burn and
1: the whole world's going to implode. Right. And we're, they're oftentimes subconscious. We don't even realize we've created them, but we all have them. I have them. I mean, I grew up with a grandmother. I grew up in a great home. My grandmother was a very big part of my life. And she had this saying, well, who do you think you are? Who do they think they are? And that actually created a big death line for me. It's like, wow, I never want to be in that position that someone says, who did she think she is? And then yeah. one day I was taking her to the airport. This is a couple of years ago, several years ago, many years ago. And this guy we're right I'm driving, and this guy in this bicycle comes up beside us, riding his bike with his hands folded over his chest. They weren't on his handlebars, and she looks at him and says, "Well, who does he think he is riding a bike with no hands?" and I kind of laughed, I thought, well, and she said, "You know he deserves to fall and I'm thinking, "Oh my gosh, grandma, no, it's okay <laughs> and so there was something in her line that you know if who do you think you are? But you know, that can translate to that I've had to actually deal with that. I've had to really unpack that because that was like the worst thing for me to have my mom or my grandma say, Well, who do you think you are out there? I used to twirl a baton when I was younger and like, trilling your baton out in the front of the house. So you're trying to show off, you should practice in the back. And it was always a kind of a underwriting fear that I actually had to, even when I got my doctorate, I had to combat that to say, well, who does she think she is going to grad school or whatever? You know, that's a deadline.
0: I love that example of a deadline. <laughs> I think our listeners can likely relate to that. Like not wanting, I think many of us yeah. were conditioned to not, you know, show our worth or like demonstrate right. our worth for fear of being perceived as cocky. Right. I don't want that label of who do I think? I'm not arrogant.
1: Like, trust me, no. I'm like struggling
0: right here. <laughs> please, no, please don't
1: think you know. that. It's can be debilitating de- 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 for people. When it's like, well, I don't oh, no, not me. In fact, um, I oftentimes when I'm doing workshops or leading a class. I'll say, you know, we all are creative with leadership potential. I, I know. That, oh, not me. Not me. Oh, no, not me. I said, no, everybody is creative. There's just not no way around that. And I honestly believe, even though some people don't agree with me with, on this, but I honestly believe what I've seen, everybody has leadership potential. And, yeah. and you can see it because when people are being creative, they're being leaders. Like my mom, would never viewed herself as a leader, but she was a m- amazing quilter, amazing. You c- and she was amazing seamstress. You could wear her clothes inside out, and um, I always kind of went by the motto because I used to sew with her, and I I was not quite as precise as she was. My motto was, "You'll never see it on a running horse." So if the hem wasn't straight, just keep moving. You know, and you don't if you. <laughs> so you can tell we had a little, uh, oftentimes a little conflict over my style of sewing versus hers. But when my mom would sew and she would be in a workshop, a quilting workshop, and she would start demonstrating, I thought, wow, my mom is a leader when it comes to quilting. So it's very important to me that little mantra that I'd like to tell people, we're all creative with leadership potential. Because you hear people say, oh, not me. I'm not creative. Oh, I could never be a leader. But I think the two most important questions we could ever answer or ask or answer is who am I and what is my work? That gets to the heart of the death line then. When we start to seek that, we then we can start to manage some of these death lines that hold us back and make us sub-optimize our behavior. I mean, it's it's exciting actually, you know, to... I, I love it. Well, and I
0: think, let's be honest, the people that are listening to the Leadership Habit Podcast are achievers. Many of mm-hmm. them might also have perfectionist tendencies. <laughs> and in my experience, because I am one, We are the ones that are vulnerable to the death line because we, I think simply of the examples of the death line of like, I have to be perfect or else I have to succeed or else. Like I have to show that I'm good enough. And I can think about even in my own journey of being an aspiring, you know, speaker, I'm like, oh my gosh, I look around you, anyone I interviewed, I'm like, these people are all so great. I am never. no I think not about you. No,
1: well. <laughs> I am telling you, I've worked with leaders, middle managers, frontline workers, frontline staff, I like to say. I have found that every one of those categories has a different death line. And when you work with top leaders, they carry a lot of, um, I think, weight and fear. Uh, and there's also a mantra that I feel that we don't talk about enough that I just say, like to say the closer you are to the top, the farther you are from the truth. And so the more you can understand what your death lines are, because you to really be a good leader. You have to know truth. You have to create transparency and we can't create transparency and embrace truth. If we're, if we're saddled with death lines, because they death lines, unarticulated death lines, make us suboptimize optimize our behavior. They yeah. just do. And, and when you
0: say sub-optimize, like just to say that more simply, you just undermine your own behavior. You don't yeah, show right. up
1: with your full potential. You minimize right. or you don't speak up in a room. <laughs> don't. Yeah, that, I've seen people mm-hmm. go right to the edge of transparency and then pull back. And it's like, well, what happened afterwards? It's often it as follow up because I've been interested in doing research on this theory that I have that, you know, I, it's hard. Even having this theory, it's like, I feel like I have to apologize for it. Like, oh, you know, no, it's just old theory I developed. It's like, Because still, I still deal with my, who do you, who does she think she is writing a book and putting a theory out there? So anyway, I actually have talked to many executives and they said, yeah, you know, all of a sudden I realized I'm talking and I might've, I felt I was showing, I didn't know the answer. I said, well, you didn't know the answer. Yeah, but I couldn't show that. And I said, yeah, I think if you had shown it, it would have been very, um, you would have opened up an authentic conversation and you would have made yourself very likable to your group. And that's, I think the thing I've, I've seen the most is how we start closing down because we don't want rejection. We don't want to be exposed. And I'd never heard the term um, imposter syndrome until I finished yeah. my doctorate. And I was so intrigued how many executives i worked with that said, I've just have this imposter syndrome. I said, well, we all are imposters at some level. I mean, Every Even though baby learning to walk, I mean, you know, that's a whole, whole nother discussion, but anyway.
0: Hi, everyone, it's Jen, and I'm just coming to you because we need your help. Presscom International, the organization that hosts the Leadership Habit Podcast that I proudly work for, is looking to expand their network of people that are committed to creating more ethical, engaging, and human leaders. Now, how is that relevant to you? Well, we're looking for referrals. Do you know someone that is interested in giving back and being an entrepreneur and owning their own business or that wants to make a difference and is passionate about leadership development? Well, I'm excited to share with you that Classcom has just launched a referral program. If you know someone, maybe it's a past mentor or a boss that's interested in making a career change and wanting to leverage the knowledge and their experience in the classroom, send them our way. We have this new program and here's the scoop. We've designed an easy to use referral form available on Crestcom.com forward slash referrals. And you can visit the site, submit your referrals and access all of the rules along with the required terms and conditions. Here's the sweet spot of this. If you refer a successful candidate, we'll give you twenty five hundred dollars. Now we want to expand and make our mission even greater, but we can't do that without your help. So if you know someone that would be interested in becoming a franchisee for an amazing leadership development organization that wants to get into the classroom and make a difference, head on over to crasscom.com forward slash referrals today and help us impact your workplaces and the leaders that you work with. Here's the only caveat. Please note that this program is currently open to applicants based in the United States only. If you are listening and you think about the makeup of your team right now, If I said it more simply, your death line is your fear line. It is what you are so afraid of. that it's going to cause you to pull back, play it small, not say what you want to say. And everyone, we talked about this on the pre-call. You had talked about it as a web of death lines. Everyone has their set of death lines, the fears that they listen to. And so we're all pulling back in some way because we don't, we want to be proven that we're enough or that we're going to be successful. I mean, that's, that's how I great. see that in a team. I'm like, oh my gosh, I might not send an email helping someone because I have my own fear of, you know, them showing me up or the fear of what if I get it wrong? And yeah. we all have this head trash in the form of
1: these fears and deadlines
0: that are deadly to your organization and your ability right. to actually drive and,
1: results. And the, and the truth about it is it's a painful place to be that you don't have to be. And so I think one of the first steps is just yeah, to,
0: how do how do we cross the death line? How do yeah. we get over there to actually so maximize our potential?
1: Right. So first i I'll define it in one sentence. The death line is a line we create that we vow ourselves never to cross because we think if we do, the consequences of that will be so terrible we can't deal with it. When in reality, we have no idea what the consequences will be. it might be good. Right. So um, I think first off is to not take yourself so seriously in this. You might say, okay, yeah, that's easy to say, hard to do. So I developed what I call this. Um, it kind of came about from a happenstance, but I call the toll booth technique. So in Florida, like many other places, we have, you know, e passes on the freeway and going down Highway 4 one day. And I realized, oh, shoot, I hadn't uh, reloaded my transponder. So I had to, you know, slow down, switch lanes, go through the toll booth and pay my toll, which was at, hilariously at that point a dime. And that wasn't even that many years ago, a dime. And as I fished for a dime, I thought, you know what? This is kind of like as I was working on my deathline theory, how to combat a deathline. We have to, it's like going through a toll booth, we have to pause, switch lanes, pause, breathe, and then ask ourselves the mother of all questions what is really going on here? What is really going on? And when I have worked with people and we've really, unpack that question. Almost always what's going on is I'm afraid I'm going to look stupid. So I'm not going to do, I'm not going to show up my full way. I'm going to hold back. And then once, you know, we can say, you know, let's pause, breathe and ask ourselves what's really going on. You can apply that to many, many things. Then we have created space or we've created a little, uh, yeah, space to actually assess. And then I have said, there's these four Case words that I found through the course of creating this death line theory that there's four things we can do. You know, first off, sometimes just admitting we have a death line and just pausing, and breathing, and asking ourselves what's going on is enough. But if we need more, yeah, I have to just say that because thoughts are not facts. Thoughts no, are not facts. Facts. And not facts. So we
0: have to pause and challenge them. Right. Okay. And continue
1: to continue on. <laughs> just pausing and breathing, it, there's a lot to do in the whole world of creativity on pausing and breathing. Um, but I, so I said, there's these four words that I noticed over the years as I worked on things that, that we need space. So when we're faced with something that we don't understand or that's fearing us is activating a death line space for new thought, grace for extending forgiveness or give to whatever happened pace. What's the right pace? Cause oftentimes the only pace we know is fast. And then yeah. what's the right place that we need to be in? And I noticed that oftentimes things happen either in a conference room, a boardroom, or the CEO's office or the CFO's office. Where's the better place we can be? So those words, um, and I love the fact that they ended in ACE, because I think part of dealing with the death line is pause, breathing and asking ourselves, which means we create engagement. So always create engagement and, and not just be stuck because And that's what space is, creates an empathy about what's happening, empathy for ourselves, empathy for other people, as we learn. So if we create space, mental space, to actually start to be able to answer the question, what's really going on, then if we have to, then maybe it calls for grace, giving grace, forgiveness. Um, Forgiveness is core to creativity. It's core to innovation. Forgiveness creates movement. Without forgiveness, we have no movement. And then a pace, it's like, maybe I just need to slow down or maybe I need to speed up. And am I in the right place for something to happen? Maybe I need to go out of my office. Maybe I need to take a walk. Maybe I need to go down to someone else's office. Or maybe I need to meet someone for coffee. And we oftentimes don't. When we get in and a deadline starts activating, we tend to close down and close up. And those ace words, space, mental space, grace, pace, and place, help us to move to actually combat a death line. But if you can't remember all those four words, then just do the toll booth technique. Pause, breathe, and ask yourself, what's really going on? And yeah. honestly ask it and try to answer it. And with the concept that we don't have to take ourselves so seriously. Right, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, but we do need to ask
0: ourselves the question. This, this statistic, I think for whatever reason, just keeps coming up in my life over the past week. It was a statistic I saw from Harvard Business Review, 95% of people believe that they are self-aware, 10 to 15% of people actually are. And (laughs) when I think about this, because what you're also sharing with the ACE and the four words um, is really the foundation for developing and improving your own emotional intelligence, your self-awareness.
1: Right. We don't take time to think anymore. So how the heck can we be self-aware? I'm telling you that makes me think i had this experience with a chief nursing officer once when we were working on a project and she said karen i'm we don't you know our problem is we have no time to think and i thought wow that's pretty profound to say in a healthcare system and she said we don't and she was coming to me to help create a an experience uh, for her nurses to actually how might we learn to think in a rapidly paced system And one was that let's, let's get the right pace. And I saw that, you know, um, I had this hilarious experience. I thought it was hilarious. This German guy came into our lab who ran a tire company in Germany and he loved what we were doing. He loved the whole concept of, oh, you're teaching these people how to think creative and I got to do that. So he went back to his place in Germany. He immediately set up this, uh, a company-wide brainstorming session in a he rented this conference room, kind of a large conference room, and they all had to go there and brainstorm all the ideas, how to make the company more innovative and more creative. He had so many ideas, he didn't know what where to begin. And I, he called me, he said, This is terrible. People are mad at me now. We had all these ideas and I'm not doing anything with them. I said, Well, sometimes it's better to maybe go slow down a little. So that's when I said, okay. you know, oftentimes people just like go, 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 go. I said, no, sometimes just Pause and breathe and ask what's really going on. Yeah. And, and then those, it, yeah, it's, but people may almost hear it like
0: a trigger. Like when you are triggered, when your fear response is triggered, when you're starting to go into that fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, that's likely <laughs> a sign that you are crossing, that you are about to cross the death line or on the cliff of the death line. And what I right. heard you say is when you are triggered, now it's time to, Take the space for new thinking. Ask yourself whether you need the grace. You know, did you do your best? It's okay if you goofed up. Gosh, you're doing yeah. your best. Do you need to slow down? Are you in the right place? So it's almost that these aces are ways that we can control our own stress response to right. come back to reality until we go on a runaway train of
1: I'm not good enough, I all am right. bad, it's all these nasty
0: stories that we write about ourselves.
1: You know, um, it's interesting. My ed psych, being an ed psych has really, really fed into uh, helping me in my pra- work of creativity, creating creative creative thinking teams and innovation spaces. I, and, um, I gave this example several times to people. I had the privilege when I was uh, working at a high school as an ed psych a principal we had there. I had never met anybody who would admit more readily when he made a mistake. And I was able to witness firsthand, he admitted with students, with patients, with other faculty and staff, what happened when he admitted he made a mistake or well, that was a mistake on my part. Everyone kind of breathed a sigh, like, oh, like a, that's a relief or how affirming. And I've carried that with me uh, for decades. That was back in the nineties that I, um, and I have oftentimes said the best thing a leader can do is just say, I don't know, or I made a mistake. And what people do is it's such a healing moment to admit you made a mistake or to allow grace for someone who has made a mistake because I believe everybody's trying to do a good job. Right. People are trying to, to do their best work. And the, the, I, I think that's for me that has been uh, the most impactful for me to realize how many people, no matter what organization I work with, um, and I've worked with some awesome organizations. Everyone eventually says at some point, "I'm just so afraid I'm going to get fired. I'm just so afraid I'm going to yeah. not do my weight. I'm just so afraid I'm going to look stupid in front of my boss or in front of my team." I'm thinking, "Wow, why don't I hear an equal amount of comments? I love it here. I'm so happy here. I feel so uh, empowered here. I feel so um, validated. For every comment that's positive, I must hear a hundred that people." our hearts are breaking or they're, we, well, we worked with this large uh, healthcare company and they sent a team of like 20 and we were working with them. And at one point at, during the course we were together, all 20 of those people were in tears. Like, this is just so scary. I, we're going to get fired. Our boss is going to be yelling at us. And I thought, wow, who wants to live in an environment like that? And I also think what boss would really want to hear that? What leader, when they're really, when everything is said and done, what leader wants to hear there are people say, we were so afraid of you. Every morning I had to force myself to come into work. I think that would break leaders' hearts. And I don't think that's what leaders are intending to do. No, I think I everybody's think. afraid. And it doesn't yeah. have to be that way. And that's one reason I wrote the book. It's like, I, I really felt so, just so um, compassion, much compassion for people. And I felt like it was just, we had to get words to be able to say, I am at my point of breaking or not breaking mentally or physically just breaking, you know, in a conversation or in the problem solving or in the project. And I said, if we could have the word death line, become part of our vernacular, like I'm hitting my death line. I think we're all hitting our death lines or we are creating a web of death lines here. I think it's freeing for people. Yeah. That's,
0: that's the conversation. I think you're giving people an entry point to have a conversation right. about mental health without directly talking about mental health.
1: Mm-hmm. What death mm-hmm.
0: lines are at play here? What are you nervous about? Are you afraid of getting fired? Are you afraid of not getting this promotion? Are you afraid of doing this? Like, depersonalize it. Take right. it outside of you and
1: name it and own it. Because if you don't and own it, you can't control it. Then it's exactly you. that is so true. I um a couple of years ago as I was working on the book. I was working with a county, helping them develop a uh, innovation initiative and training, doing a lot of training with people to how creative, how they can become uh, more effective creative thinkers. And I started teaching about the death line and um, the mayor said, this is really helpful because now we have a word. And that's when it really hit me that we can push it as a vernacular. So. If it can become part of our vocabulary, just think how powerful that could be. You're in a board meeting or, or someone's afraid to speak up and say, you know, I've got an active death line going here. And people would know, oh, she's afraid. And a lot of people would say, oh my gosh, we didn't mean that to happen. But
0: uh, yeah, it's. But I mean, what if we all started a brainstorming session with, let's just throw the death lines on the board? What are we all afraid of? That would be we awesome. Into this? <laughs>
1: we have. <laughs> We have this thing that I call stinky fish. If I'm running a project that's going like or a workshop that's going like for th- several days, the very first thing I have them do is um I put big post-notes on the board and I say, draw your co- idea of us what a stinky fish would look like. And so they go do it. And then I say, okay, write down what I clarify is a stinky fish is your biggest fear. What's going what's about this project we're working on. And it's amazing. They do it. I am was amazed that they just do it. And then we share it. And then the course of the time, we go back to that. Now we've learned some things. Did it change? Did the stinky fish change? Because the whole goal is to get the stinky fish to change into a catch of the day. And the oh. catch of the day will be like, oh, we were afraid we couldn't rally the people. But we learned that. Now we've, we know how to We've we figure it out. We have a, a idea. We have the steps. And we a prototype how to rally the people and i'm always so amazed it's fun and also i tell people use this use this little silly stinky fish catch of the day um exercise and anything you do when you're working with people because get the fears on the table right. and or death lines on the table so it's yeah, <laughs> i love that and even in a closing like if you're thinking
0: today and you're struggling or feeling stuck feeling you know low in confidence or feeling down, maybe this is your opportunity to do your own download, to write down your death lines. What are you afraid of right now? Karen, we've talked about a lot today, and I know I could keep this conversation going. I really <laughs> enjoyed reading your book. Uh, for those that are going to pick it up, The Death Line, Stopping the Number One All-Time Killer of Human Potential, it's a very, very easy read. I know that we've only touched on a little bit of the surface of what you cover in this book. but what would be your final thoughts to our listeners before, as we're wrapping
1: up? Um, okay. I I love the fact we've been able to talk about this and um I hope in all, I'm saying this in all hum- 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 humility that I hope you can get the book and um your person, I'm not making money on the book. I mean, I'm not, you don't write a book to make money. Actually, I've learned that, but um I want you to, to get it if you can and just see how you, it might help you or help your teams. But more importantly, what I think I've learned about the death line is we all have them. And if we can articulate them, what those are, those things that we don't want to see happen, such as fear, rejection, failure, um, embarrassment, whatever it is, that what, by having that, those death lines control us, we will never reach our full potential. And I think that's a loss because you have a gift. We all have gifts that only you can deliver to the world. And if you allow your death lines to hold you back, you'll never be able to deliver your gift to the world. And no one will be able to do it for you. So the world will be lost for it forever. And that when we think about death lines, about maybe yourself or other people that maybe cause some stress in your life, that I think at the heart of everybody is innocence. And you might think, really, some people don't seem very innocent to me. But if we peel everything away, People are just afraid to be rejected. The death lines that we have hold us back, hold you back and hold people around you back. And if we could start to have softer eyes towards people and and softer eyes towards ourselves, forgive ourselves, embrace ourselves, stop taking ourselves too seriously, and just seek ways to reduce your death lines. Pause, breathe, ask yourself what's really going on and let yourself move forward. If you make a mistake, so what? You know, you'll survive. It won't be the end of the world. Only the end of the world is the end of the world. So it won't be the end of the world. So yeah. anyway, that's kind of a wordy closing. But yeah, no, I- just remember, you are you are unique and you have a gift to give to the world. So don't let a death line prevent that from the world from seeing your gift.
0: No, I I needed to hear that, right? We, we live in our mistakes. Even my husband, before he walked out the door, because for the last probably two months, I've been in that head trash land. I've been in living to it. I've been living in my death lines. Yeah. And even before we all my husband do. walked out the door today, he was like, "John, just remember to be kind to yourself today."
1: And oh, that's you so know, sweet. like
0: just just do, I know he's the best, but it, it's oh. like I'm so grateful. But I think we all need to hear that, and I share that with our audience to know, like. Because I think a lot of people sometimes think she comes off as confident and assertive. Hey, I've
1: got so much stuff that I need to work through. <laughs> and yeah. I hope that they give themselves grace to to work through it as well. And well, and one last thing is everything's a failure in the middle. And if we're working on it, everything is a failure in the middle. So if we're failing, it's the middle.
0: Yeah, I love that. <laughs> How can our audience get your book? How can they get in touch with you?
1: Well, um, it's on Amazon. And... Um, we, I think we all know, pretty much all of us know how to get to Amazon. So it's called, yeah, called The Death Line. Uh, if, if you put The Death Line, also don't be surprised, there's some pretty scary uh, images come up from the video <laughs> world. I mean, the video game world. <laughs> so, no, it's called The Death Line. You can put Karen Tilstra, it'll come up. The Death Line, stopping the number one all-time killer of human potential. Um, but if you put The Death Line, Karen Silstra, it will come up. And also um, we have a webpage. Um, My son and I have a business together with a, and we have a, a larger team. And um, that is creativityaffect.com. creativityeffect.com. And you can and you, also just find us.
0: <laughs> LinkedIn, all of the places, Google. <laughs> Karen, yeah. thank you so much for coming onto to The Leadership Habit. Thank you for sharing an empowering message for all of us that if we want to unlock our own potential, we've got to be willing to talk about and face and cross that death line. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Grateful to have your message.
1: Oh, well, thank you so much. And it was a privilege to be here. I hope it made sense.
0: <laughs> it absolutely did. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Leadership Habit Podcast. I needed this message. As an achiever, I often find myself facing that deadline, pulling back, letting fear take the wheel instead of stopping to slow down. And if you are feeling like you're not living up to your full potential, go out and pick up the deadline. As Karen said, you can get it on Amazon and you can also connect and learn more about Karen's work, The Creativity Effect and her awesome team by heading on over to the I really know that if you actually read this book, it will change how you look at your own potential, and it will change how you show up, how you collaborate with your team, and heck, even the performance of your own organization. Now, of course, as I say at the end, if you are looking to develop yourself, if you're looking to grow in your own leadership skill set, head on over to crosscom.com. There you can request a complimentary leadership skills workshop where we can come in and help you and your team overcome their own death lines. We would love to help you do it. And if you know someone that's struggling in that face of fear, share this with them. Let them know that they are not alone and that there are ways to overcome their own death line. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Until next time.